Mental health during the COVID-19 pandemic, child mental health. This is Shira Vollmer, MD. I'm a psychiatrist at the David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA. Thank you for joining me for this eighth episode in my series of podcasts on mental health during the coronavirus. This series is about keeping yourself and your patients mentally healthy in this unstable and scary world. These podcasts will be published weekly by primed.com. Today's topic is about pediatric mental health during COVID-19. As of April 8, 2020, schools have been suspended in 188 countries, according to UNESCO. The UNESCO Director General, Audrey Azule, warned that the global scale and speed of the current educational disruption is unparalleled. So let's think about the children. How are they doing during COVID-19? What are the issues they are struggling with? What can we do to help them cope? Let's also think about the children with previous mental health needs and those children with special needs. To begin, Let us think together about five ways in which children might be suffering. And let's talk about how can we develop a greater sensitivity to children who are living through this pandemic. Let's first talk about the changes to the environment that the children are experiencing. Children no longer have the support of school or external childcare providers. Parents have become de facto homeschool teachers, no preparation or training to educate their children. Online education is limited by how much time a child can spend in front of a computer screen. And the younger the child and the more immature the child's nervous system, the more it is unlikely that the child can have sustained attention for online learning, thereby adding even more stress to unprepared parents. School routines are important for children. Leaving a routine can cause tremendous apathy, and likewise, returning to school will also be a challenge for some students. Second, babysitters, tutors, housekeepers are not allowed in quarantine. Parents are often trying to maintain full-time jobs while caring for their children. Other parents are laid off from work and looking for new jobs, increasing family tension significantly. Third, Children with special needs, particularly less verbal children, might propose a huge challenge during this period. They can become frustrated and short-tempered when their daily routines are disrupted. Special needs children often have multiple specialists who help them, but during this time, not all specialists can help these children with online work. Special needs children may not have the motivation or the attention span to stay in front of a computer screen, and so vital learning may not be taking place. There is no easy answer to this problem, as parents are not usually special education teachers, so these children might simply miss out on important parts of their education during this time. However, as time progresses, it is possible that some special education teachers can be considered essential services, and as such, learning can resume with the proper protective equipment. Fourth, 
Let's think about university students. They are stressed about dormitory evacuation and cancellation of anticipated events such as exchange studies and graduation ceremonies. Some lost their part-time jobs as local businesses have closed. Students in their final years are anxious about the job market they are going to enter soon. And lastly, in unstable homes, there's very likely to be an increase in child abuse, including verbal, physical, and sexual abuse. The increase in child abuse is likely to be a result of greater family stress, more time together, fear of getting sick, and economic uncertainties. Increased rates of child abuse, neglect, and exploitation have been reported during previous public health emergencies, such as the Ebola outbreak in West Africa from 2014 to 2016. Now for children in loving families, this period of time can be special and precious, and it will cause loving and long-lasting happy memories. However, for children in previously abusive families, this can cause unmitigated abuse without the presence of previous safetyness. For most children, it will be a combination of loving times, alternating with unloving and impatient times, alternating again with mean and abusive times. Although in ordinary times, all of the above is true. What is unique about COVID-19 is that a child's life is deeply compressed because there is no physical school, there are no after-school activities outside the house, and there are no trips to friends' houses or to grandparents' houses. In addition, in the absence of children physically attending school, there is less of an opportunity for teachers or school counselors to report abuse to social services. The family unit is a closed unit, and so we as healthcare professionals need to be prepared to advocate for these children who are in environments which are harmful to their emotional growth and development. We cannot assume that each parent is coping, quote, as best as they can, unquote, because as best as they can may be causing long-lasting damage to the innocent child who literally has nowhere to escape. So let's move on to suggested action items. Each clinician, including pediatrics, family medicine, and OBGYN, need to be mindful about how the children are coping during this pandemic. Pediatric clinicians should ask every patient and every child without the parent present about how they are doing during this time. More specifically, the pediatrician needs to take private time with the child ages four and up and ask directly if their parents are ever mean to them or if their parents beat them up or if there's any inappropriate touching. I know these are delicate questions, and they may not be needed for every child, but at the very least, each pediatric clinician needs to be ready to ask these questions if the child suggests that there may be abuse at home or if there is known prior abuse. A positive response may prompt a report to Children's Services, but if the response is vague, it could prompt a referral to a child mental health professional for further investigation. Pediatric clinicians need to embrace mental health assessments as part of their job, as there are fewer eyeballs on our children, and so clinicians need to step up during this time. Going forward, 
Family medicine clinicians also must check in with the children, but since the parents may also be their patients, they should also check in with each parent, specifically asking about how their parenting is going and asking directly if the parent feels whether they are maintaining or losing control with their children. Allow the parent to ask for help for their parenting and have resources on the ready for parents who are feeling at loose ends. An example of a good resource is one put out by NYU entitled Schools Out, Parents Guide, Meeting the Challenge During the COVID-19 Pandemic. OBGYN should inquire about new mothers, specifically inquiring about how the attachment is going, as stressed mothers may have trouble bonding with their newborns. In addition, OBGYN clinicians need to monitor their pregnant moms for depression, for anxiety, and for their parental expectations during the COVID-19 crisis. Each child has an emotional growth curve which is dependent on their peers for social learning. The age of the child will determine the needs of that child, but as a general principle, the isolation of these children from in-person play is going to hamper their emotional development. The degree to this will harm a child is individualized, and as children are resilient, most children will bounce back as social isolation recedes. Having said that, and as clinicians, it is our job to watch out for those few children that have trouble bouncing back. Some children will develop anxiety disorders, and in particular, a social anxiety disorder, in which being with people is a source of enormous stress. Although in the context of this virus, that makes sense now that there's a fear of other people. But if the social anxiety persists long after the virus threat is gone, then clinicians must identify and treat this as we would any other form of social anxiety disorder. We must keep in mind that not much is known about the long-term mental health issues. Health effects of large-scale disease outbreaks on children and adolescents are not known. Having said that, we must use our old toolkit of supporting children and adolescents who are facing developmental interruptions, bereavement, and social issues related to parental unemployment and loss of household income. There is also a need to monitor young people's mental health status over the long term and to study how prolonged school closures, strict social distancing measures, and the pandemic itself affect the well-being of children and adolescents. In summary, we as a society, we as primary care clinicians, must think about our children, the children we see in our practices, the children of our patients, our own children, and our friends' children. It is easy to lapse into cliche that children are resilient, but we must avoid this lapse because it is our job as stewards of healthcare to make sure children grow and develop in the best possible way. The kids may not be all right. Thank you very much for joining me to discuss mental health in the time of COVID-19. I look forward to your feedback and for you to join me for my next podcast on primed.com. I'm Shira Volmer, MD. Until next time, stay well and stay happy.